Welcome back to the AGD podcast series. I'm Dr. Wes Blakesley, and I'll be your host today. Have you ever thought about changing your practice style? I mean, a complete lane change. Many of us have thought about it, but very few have done it. Today, we're going to have a conversation with Dr. Sarah Humphreys, a general dentist practicing in Tennessee, who did just that. Good morning, Sarah. So good to have you with us. Hi, doing good this morning. How are you? I'm fine here at the Jersey Shore. It's sunny, not raining today, thankfully. Uh, so you have a great story to share with us. And uh, let's begin by talking about how working before and during dental school helped to lay an entrepreneurial foundation for you. I think that's very important. Yeah, so um, I was really fortunate. It's, it was kind of a, a what I call a happy accident that I got involved um, in a business before I went to dental school. Um, some of it was circumstantial. Like I had graduated a semester early and had some time before I was getting ready to start professional school. Um, and I actually applied just kind of as an admin position to just answer phones for this local company. Um, and the week that I started, they let their marketing person go um, and said, hey, you're young, you know about the internet. Do you think you could handle some of our marketing projects? And um, didn't have a lot of background in it, but this company was awesome and gave me a lot of training um, to learn how to do internet marketing and social media. Like back when that was like in its infancy, it was, you know, SEO was a term that wasn't as popular as it is now because um, this was back like 2006. Um, but they gave me a lot of training and what they did is they did a lot of startup businesses with venture capital um, in a lot of different industries. Um, it was really cool for me because I got a really good just business background, um, but also kind of was on the forefront of some of this internet marketing that has served me really well in practice, but um, also kind of gave me a little side hustle when I was in dental school too, which was helpful. So you had a pretty good experience. Yeah, it was good. It was busy. Um, I worked through the first three years of dental school, um, about 20 hours a week-ish, um, and really kind of launched into my own, own business and picked up some new clients even when I was in Kentucky in dental school. So um, it was good, both teaching me good time management skills <laughs> um, and also just giving me a lot of knowledge about, you know, real world dentistry. I was in work mode in dental school, not school mode so much. Um, and I think that was really helpful. Well, good for you. Uh, so uh, I know from our discussions leading up to the podcast that you worked as a general dentist for a couple of years. Uh, so what are what are some of the collective experiences that leads to limit your practice to sleep dentistry and TMD? Yeah, so I when I first I graduated from dental school, I was seven months pregnant um, and had considered doing um, I, I went to dental school at University of Kentucky, so I had spent a lot of time in the oral facial pain clinic while I was in dental school, which was an awesome experience. Um, and they were going through the process of getting recognized as a specialty at that point. Dr. Okeson was kind of on the forefront of that. So, but it wasn't, when I was in dental school, it wasn't a recognized specialty. And so there was a challenge for me. I was thinking about doing a residency program, but I was pregnant and didn't know how I was going to kind of manage that. And, um, couldn't really 
understand totally how to do that as a niche um, in the real world outside of the university at that point in time. Um, so I did get out and went into general dentistry practice. Um, I was in those practices for about seven years. Um, and back when COVID started, you know, throughout that process, I really, you know, was interested. I did a lot of CE with Spear Education and was introduced to kind of the basic concepts of, of sleep. And I, I like doing TMJ and seeing the TMJ patients and the practices that I was at, but I, I wasn't, I didn't have a full-blown system of how to implement it in the general dental practice. Um, and kind of through some different circumstances, I did meet a, a guy here that does that as a specialty who introduced it to me a little bit further um, and continue to just get education around that area. But back when COVID started, um, I reached out to him as I was transitioning out of my general dentistry practice um, to see about coming in to work with him. And, and so I did that, which was awesome because it was, you know, hands-on experience in his office, um, which was really invaluable. I don't think a lot of people have that opportunity. So I really got to see that in action, how to limit your practice to this specialty um, and that was kind of just a temporary thing. But when I got to the end of it, you know, I really had a decision to make because I didn't have a dental practice to go back to and um, had to make a decision about whether I was going to kind of jump in and commit to this fully and do it myself or um, go back into the general dental world. So um, here we are. I'm giving it a go here with the specialty. We're going to see how it goes. Sounds like it's going pretty well. So what are some of the competitive business advantages and uh, advantages to you as a, a wife and a mother of two young children to having an exclusive uh, sleep TMD practice? And what would be some of the downsides? Yeah, so um, it's been really interesting because in some respects, it's a very like niche model practice. Um, but some of the things that happened during COVID, especially um, kind of made it really nice for me in some respects, because right now um, I'm working, I rent space from a general dentist in the area. So I didn't have the overhead of going in full gear on a retail space. Um, I do think that's in my future, um, but some of the advantages of going in as a sleep and TMJ practice is you don't have the same equipment and overhead costs that you have in a general dental practice. Um, and I'd kind of toyed around with doing a startup general practice for a while. Um, but just in looking at kind of the landscape and the financial commitment that that is, um, there's just some unique advantages. Um, you, you don't have to have necessarily dental chairs. Um, you don't have to have a hygiene staff. You don't have to have as many employees. So it's a little bit less on the management side of things. Um, and COVID has really um, offered up the opportunity to do a lot of remote work. Um, so a lot of what I can do on the front end with patients is via telehealth. So I don't have to have, you know, that location overhead either. Um, so by the time a patient gets to me on Fridays, I, I see patients on Fridays in the office. And by the time they get to me, they're really ready for starting treatment. Um, so I can line up, you know, back-to-back -back patients um, I was telling you earlier from about 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Fridays um, and can see all the patients that I've already set up and established relationships with and work to get their pre-authorizations and the insurance component completed 
Um, and I'm just actually in the office one day a week right now. So um, I think there's a lot of advantages to that, um, especially again, given the current environment, not having to have like a full blown staff and um, manage the HR part of it has been really helpful. Um, as far as being a mom, I mean, it's also been, you know, I hate to go back to the COVID thing, but you know, we, I've had unpredictability about like when my kids are going to be in school or out of school, or um, even if they have the sniffles or a fever, you know, it's a few days before they can go back to school as opposed to going like the very next day. Um, and we've taken on a lot of challenges with, you know, helping homeschool and helping more with their education. And there's been some remote work that's been done in our schools this year. So it's been really nice for me to be able to be at home with my kids um, when they haven't been in school um, and to be there to help them with their education while still managing the practice. It made my schedule really super flexible to not have you know your routine hygiene patients coming in. You have a little more advanced notice about having to move things around. And there's just a lot of business and lifestyle advantages to to being more of a specialist um and it's been really it's been a really good balance for me especially during this season so uh, are you doing all your own insurance you mentioned that is that medical and dental or do you do both or one yeah so it's all medical insurance um and i think that's probably another advantage of being kind of restricting my practice to just this is you really have to shift your mindset from the dental model to a medical model. Um, TMJ and sleep apnea are both medical conditions um, that bill through medical insurance and you write notes like you're medical and you do all of it from a medical model, which is a really big mindset shift. I mean, you really have to wrap your head around that because it's not like dentistry at all. Um, I work with a couple of companies that help have helped me kind of navigate the medical insurance model. Um, but as far as like, even when you outsource it, you still have to know how to write the notes and put together the paperwork for pre-authorizations and be, you really have to be the advocate for your patients because even when you have some help, you're the one that's the intermediate, um, person between even the billing company and yourself. Um, so there's a lot of steps involved. I do have a little bit of out, outside help, but I'm preparing all the paperwork and following up and doing all that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, I'm just curious, how are you able to find local resources to help you navigate the business landscape? Because this is a different business, you know, regarding SBA and other resources that are available to us now. Yeah. Um, it's been really cool because I, I think one thing that dentists kind of get get trapped in sometimes is thinking dental model, dental model, dental model. And they think um, that, you know, they reach out to people that are like dental business specialists. And I think sometimes we forget that dentistry, even though it's a unique business, is still a business. Um, and what's been really cool for me is I've, I've had a lot of local resources. Um, there's an entrepreneurial organization in my state um, that's provided me a lot of help and a lot of resources that were free. I mean, they were free resources um, where they helped me put together my business plan and they've given me courses on um, how to run and operate a business and how to pitch it to a bank and 
uh, things that I had a little bit of background in, but they really helped me adapt it for my own specific business and then generate some local leads for me about banks and people in the community that could help come alongside me and be a resource as well. So I did, they have like a little mini NBA program um, that I had started last year too. Um, and again, it's all free um, through the state, through the, um, you know, state and local government sponsored entrepreneur organizations. Interesting. Uh, you know, if someone listening in right now, because people from coast to coast are listening to this podcast, uh, what would you tell them about some of the challenges you've encountered so far and some things that you, that you've learned so far? Uh, share that with us. Yeah. Um, I think probably one of the trickiest things has been to get my own self out of the dental model. Um, because when I was initially getting started, you know, I went through the traditional routes of contacting, you know, Bank of America and Wells Fargo, these, these companies that are well known for working with dentists, even, even CPAs and things that are dental specific. Um, and when I explained what I was trying to do, they just didn't get it. Like they don't understand, like you're going to do a dental practice, but not with dental equipment and you're going to rent space from another doctor. And there was a lot of, um, you know, resistance to this doesn't make sense. This doesn't fit our model. Um, so that's kind of forced me outside of that world a little bit um, into more, more like less specific dental people. Um, I, one of the challenges is not being able to get financing um, because I'm in someone else's space and I'm not doing a build out. There's not collateral for a loan um, necessarily. Um, so I've had to be really creative in how to get the business started without a lot of capital investment. Um, it's, it's been good. It's challenged me. It's, it's made me kind of take on a lot of my own stuff, whether it's creating my own logos or creating my own website. Um, you know, I've kind of walked through some things that I've had to, had to bootstrap a little bit more because I didn't have access to, to capital. That's been probably one of the biggest challenges. You know, in our conversations leading up to our interview this morning, uh, you mentioned something very interesting. I remember I was sitting on my porch sunbathing, <laughs> trying to enjoy a nice day, and you really laid an interesting concept on me, and uh, it just kind of stuck, and I thought we'd explore that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I recall that you mentioned to me that if, uh, for example, if, if I were to start a sleep or a TMD uh, practice, you know, kind of like a niche practice within my general practice, and I have a, a established 38-year-old general practice, that you would start that as a separate entity, maybe as a separate LLC, yeah, et cetera. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Talk, talk about that. I found that fascinating. Yeah, so a, a couple of things that I've learned along the way is, is something I kind of touched on earlier about kind of keeping it in the medical model. Um, I think it's difficult for people that are in the general dentistry world to make that mindset shift if they're totally together. Um, so just as an example, um, there are software programs that are designed to just do sleep dentistry. So the forms that are put into the system, um, and there's a lot of things that you can set up through those softwares that are sleep specific, that are super helpful. I think it'd be really challenging um, to do this without those tools separated out from your 
your general dentistry. Um, I also am not totally sure that patients are ready to hear about sleep in the hygiene chair. And I think that's where a lot of these discussions try to happen. Um, you know, it's not a five or 10 minute conversation. You certainly can screen patients in the hygiene department, but I think, I think setting it up as separate in the patient's mind is really helpful as well. Um, because that shift for the patient is challenging too. You're going from dental insurance to medical insurance and the way that the deductibles work and the cost, it's all really different. Aside from that, on the business side of things, um, I think it's important to keep them separate too if you ever want to sell your practice. Um, it's really two separate entities. So let's just say you were doing really well at the sleep dentistry and you wanted to bring in a dental associate or a dental partner and you wanted to value your practice, well, it's going to be really challenging if those things are integrated to pull out the sleep part and get a true valuation of your dental practice. Um, so I think that it's really important. I mean, they really are different things, um, partially because of the insurance, partially because of the psychology. Um, but also, if you wanted to sell your dental practice and move your sleep practice to another location, um, I think it makes it a lot clearer to be able to do that if they're separate accounting, separate companies within the same entity, even if you're doing it in your dental practice. I think establishing it as a separate entity is, is important to be able to make that transition long term. I think that's great advice and something I've never have thought of. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, I'm just curious. So you have a, a, you know, basically a limited practice, a specialty limited practice. Uh, what is the source of your new patients? So my long-term strategy um, is definitely going to be to work with local referrals. So um, that's something that I think is important too, is there has to be collaboration between the medical community and the dental community on this. Um, you can't do sleep dentistry without a medical doctor involved. It's just not possible. Legally, it's not possible. And really, diagnosing sleep apnea is outside of our, our scope. Um, so I've started to build those relationships with local physicians, and that's been really fun and challenging um, because a lot of them are like, what, what does this dentist want to talk to me for? Um, and I've, I've actually found that um, LinkedIn has been a really powerful tool for me to connect with medical doctors. Um, it's, it's something that over the last year or so has become a really good platform for professional relationship building. And a lot of the big key meetings I've gotten have just been from reaching out and connecting on LinkedIn. Um, I am doing some direct marketing to patients. I've really geared that to be very informational. Um, I'll, I do post on my blog and social media and things like that, informational things to just get patients more aware. Um, and I've done a little bit of paid marketing, not a lot yet, um, because I'm really focusing my energy and time on building those physician relationships. Interesting. Uh, are local uh, general dentists, uh, I guess even specialists, are they eager to refer to you because this is not in their wheelhouse or are they reluctant to refer to you for the obvious fear of perhaps losing a patient? Yeah, so I think that's the other thing that really helped me make the decision to make this practice exclusive to TMJ and sleep. 
um, because I think there's a lot of general dentists that aren't comfortable, especially treating TMJ, um, but may not be comfortable sending their patients into another general dentistry practice. So I have eliminated that in some respects in that I'm not, I'm not going to take your TMJ patient and turn them into a hygiene patient because I just don't even offer that service. So general dentists, I think, have been really good referral sources for TMJ, mostly because not I don't even know that so they don't know how to do it as much as it is. They just don't want to do it. Um, it's E, all of the above. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think there's a lot of that. You know, it's, a, it's, it's you don't have the time, the infrastructure to sit down and, and TMJ is a delicate dance of psychology and medicine and um, management, patient management, and um, you really have to have time to do that. So I spend about 90 minutes with a TMJ patient on a new patient appointment. I, I imagine that. Do you think uh, these are things just kind of popping out of my head? Uh, I did a, a one year, like a mini residency in TMJ back in 1990. And it was very interesting, but I decided it wasn't for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I went into implantology. That's my board certification. I love it. That was that was made for me, and I was made for that. But uh, is there a personality type that you think uh, would predispose one to go into sleep and TMD, and and a person personality type that would exclude that dentist from doing it? Yeah. How's well, that? It's funny that you say, I mean, we're all just so different because the thought of doing implants is just has, have no interest at all in doing that. <laughs> I like, I always joked, I was my oral surgeon's like favorite referral source because I didn't even like to extract teeth. So um, it is funny that you say that. I think one of the things about my personality that has made this interesting to me um, is that I like things that aren't super prescriptive. So in dentistry, I don't want to say it was boring, but, um, you know, after I've been doing it for several years, it's like a patient comes in, they have a cavity, you place a filling, they have a crack in the tooth, you place a crown. It's, it, it becomes very straightforward in a lot of ways. And I think I've always gravitated towards complex problem solving and the people that no one else really wants to take on or treat, whether that was an anxious patient in the dental office or, um, you know, a patient with a complex TMJ issue. I like digging in and and going beyond just the if this, then that. I like to say, okay, well, what could this be? And let's try this and see if it works and let's try that. And and I and I think being okay with knowing you may never get a hundred percent success um, is an important distinction, I think, for the dental personality, because I think if you were, and I'm a perfectionist in a lot of ways, but, but in TMA, you've got to, and sleep, really, you've got to be okay with, I may get you 70% better. I may never get you hundred percent better. Um, and then I think, I think being a female, I hate to, I hate to pull that, but I do think being someone who communicates empathetically and can manage the psychological component of it is really important on the TMJ front, especially. I would underscore that. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be really patient. And yeah. sometimes people get better just from being heard and felt cared for. Um, and I hate to say that's a placebo effect because I don't really believe that. I think there's a huge component to pain and 
psychological management and being able to make patients feel okay and not brushed off. I think that's a huge part of the TMJ treatment. Plus, I know we've had several hours of conversations. You're very relatable and <laughs> you are great in conversation. You're very empathetic. So I think you've uh, tagged all the bases on that. Uh, I, I could go on for an hour, but we're on to the, the last uh, question here that I have for you. Uh, what's the future looking like for you and uh, some of the trends that you've seen in uh, the sleep industry? Yeah, I, um, I don't know. I think this is probably the least clear my future's ever been at any point in my life, because I think there's a lot of different things that could happen from here. Um, if I had to line up what my ideal vision would be for the future, um, I would love to have a comprehensive sleep and TMJ center um, that focused a lot on overall wellness for patients where maybe it is, you know, you have somebody there that can do cognitive behavioral therapy or counseling for patients that are having, that do have a psychological component. And then also adding, you know, physical therapists or a myofunctional therapist. I'd like to add pediatrics at a high level at some it's point. Um, so there's a lot of things I think and a lot of avenues that can be pursued. Um, but overall, just I want to kind of avoid that appliance factory feel and be more outside the box in some ways where you're not adding in some other modalities of treatment. Um, as far as trends go, I think there's a lot of trends that happen in sleep dentistry. I think it's, it's kind of like Invisalign probably was when it came out where everybody wants to be involved and everyone wants to kind of get their little part piece of the pie, so to speak. Um, so there's a lot of companies that are, there's a lot of technology companies. There are a lot of educational companies. There's a lot of product companies that are really, you know, pitching themselves out to dentists. So navigating those waters is going to be a little tricky as we move forward. Um, I'd say the trend that I'm most excited about is being able to print in your office. So 3D printing, integral scanning, designing your own appliances. I think that's probably the technology that I'm, I'm most excited about um, because I think that's just such a game changer. It gives you so much more control um, and speed. It gives you a lot of speed in treating patients faster. Interesting. Well, Sarah, I'm not a betting person, never have been, uh, but I, I bet my license that in five to 10 years, you're gonna realize that model that you just described to us. I think, it's a great, I think it's a great model. And then you can, uh, you can franchise that out. And <laughs> if you have a Jersey Mike's sub shop around you, uh, my neighbor is the person who started that. Oh uh, yeah. Some years ago. And uh, he's doing very well in life right now. And uh, anyway, I really enjoyed our podcast today, our discussion. Uh, you're very uh, enthusiastic. You have a great attitude and you have great vision. So thanks for sharing that with us today. And uh, keep in touch with us at the AGD. This is, uh, this is your vanguard. And I want to see, I want to see where, you're like a rocket taking off. I want to see where this goes. Well, I hope, I hope I don't disappoint. Well, uh, time will tell. It's still early. So we'll, uh, we'll see, but working hard and always keeping an open mind, I think is critical and hopefully will lead to a lot of success. Well, I put my money on Dr. Sarah Humphreys. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for being with us today. Yeah, take care. You too.